Hello friends and welcome to episode four of Grits in the Gospel. My name is Katie Griffiths. I am a minister in the United Methodist Church. I'm a licensed local pastor pursuing ordination for eldership, (laughs) which is a mouthful. So I will just say um, I'm a minister in the United Methodist Church. Um, I promise my sermons are coming to this platform to get access and learn to snip out and clip things and whatever. It's just taken a minute. Uh, and so until then, and maybe during that time, I'm going to put some thoughts on, well, they're kind of on paper. I type out notes, but put some thoughts into the world. Um, today we're going to talk about something that, um, unfortunately is a little controversial. Um, and I'm sure this is just part one because there are many aspects to this issue that, um, I'm probably not going to talk about today, but need to be discussed. And so today's episode is part one of women in ministry calls for either groans, eye rolls, or jump up and down clapping excited um, that we have women in ministry in the United Methodist Church because not every denomination has that. Pardon me while I continue to drink my coffee. So today um, I'm going to start with the scripture that to me makes very clear that women are indeed capable, ordained, blessed, and heaven-sent the ability to minister. It is the very first time that we hear the good news of Jesus rising from the tomb. And it's in Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. And it says this, but on the first day of the week, early at the dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. So when we look at this scripture, we see 
that the first people to receive the good news were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women. The women were the first to receive and share the good news of Jesus' rising from the dead. If it's good enough for God, if it's good enough for the angel, then it should be good enough for us. Now, unfortunately for them, the men didn't believe them. And that's a whole nother uh, episode that may be part two, is why we are not believed <laughs> as much as we should be. But Peter and those other apostles, those other men should have listened to the women because they were right, because they had been the first to be given the good news. So for me, that says enough. Now, we're going to obviously talk about the scripture that everybody goes to to um, refute that in just a minute. But if it's good enough for God, it should be good enough for us. Um, I never, ever thought that this would be an issue still in this world, even in the, especially in the Methodist world who are very open and affirming, but it is. Uh, I have even heard said about my current ministry, we are doomed. They sent us a woman. <laughs> and uh, fortunately for me, I, uh, God has used me, and we have turned things around for a lot of people in that regard. Um, I have been the vessel to show that women in ministry can do great work to a lot of different people. And um, I'm thankful for that. I am thankful for the chance to be that vessel. But that uh, undertone, that um, skepticism is everywhere. And I guess I grew up just in a world where that was not the case. And what a blessing that was. I, I've said this before. I grew up with several female ministers. I grew up with a female in a regional minister role. So not just ministers in the pulpit, but in, um, in areas of leadership. I had great female role models. And it was never a thing. It, it was never something that was questioned. It was just how it was. Nobody was disqualified for being a minister or preaching the word of God because of their gender. And I, it was weird to me when people started questioning that about um, my own self and some of the churches where I have been a member and have served. I have been fortunate enough to have several great female ministers to show me the way uh, relatives that um, are in the ministry um, i have been at ordinations of female ministers um, the methodist church in south georgia not this year but next year will have only females being ordained or being um, commissioned and so it, to me, is either time to get on board or get out of the way. Because women in ministry, especially now, 
is uh, in the Methodist Church anyway are are vital to what we want to do with the kingdom, and they're um, I, I just I still can't believe it's still a, a question. I have worked in many male-dominated industries. I have been in and around the trucking and warehousing business. I have worked for, um, in my previous job, um, at a insurance company that's represented by a lizard. Um, in the towing business, those are extremely male-dominated industries. Those are, uh, they're especially in the towing business, um, there are also a lot of companies, a whole lot of companies owned by people that are not from the Christian faith tradition, where women are not welcome at all to even sit at the same table and dine with the men. And yet those men loved and accepted me much better and more willingly than as some of the people of my own denomination. And that still is very, very hard for me to wrap my brain around. <laughs> but, um, you know, here's what I've decided for myself. For myself, I'm just going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep being me. I'm going to keep um, preaching the word. I'm going to continue to be a vessel. And if people want to disqualify what the Lord uses me to say just because of my body parts, then... I mean, that's their problem, not mine. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and what I'm called to do. Um, one of the first things that I encountered in the Methodist Church was um, when I did my paperwork. I've told this story before, and thank goodness for other female clergy, but one of the questions they ask on the very first set of paperwork that you have to do is, what are your feelings? What do you think about women in ministry? And the first time I read that question, I thought, what? Why are we even still asking that question? It made me so angry. <laughs> it made me extremely angry. Why are we asking that? And uh, it was the first time that it had been put in front of me that this ministry calling, this job I was about to have, this change of life <laughs> that I was making was going to be tough because it was going to test my ability to um, tolerate and be patient with people that don't think the same way I do that are in my own churches and denomination. What I found was, after I talked to two very important um, female clergy members in my life, was that they put that question in there not to make people like me angry, <laughs> but to weed out the people that don't think that women should be in ministry. You can't hide that very well. If you feel strongly about that and you don't think that women should be in ministry, it's hard to hide when you are writing about it. And so um, that is the reason. And I understand that. Uh, and I, I see that now. And I'm so thankful to have um, people around me that um, help me 
through this process. However, it still makes me question, in 2023, how are we still trying to weed out people that do not believe that women should be in ministry? Well, I don't think that's a question I can answer, but it is a question to ponder. One thing that um, we fight as women all the time is that our voices don't seem to be valid to some people. And it wouldn't even dawn on some people that I would even be a minister. You know, it's, um, I was at the South Georgia Conference last this summer, this a few months ago. And um, I uh, was going to a, a lunch. And at the same time as my lunch was, there was a clergy spouse lunch. And look, granted, that is mostly women. But when I got to this intersection, they had some greeters. And everybody that worked the South Georgia Conference was just so warm and welcoming and uh, they weren't everybody was wonderful nobody was not nice to me but when I walked up to these two women they said oh the spouse's lunch is over there and I looked at them and I said I am clergy I'm not a spouse it never dawned on them these women these beautiful smart intelligent women it never dawned on them that I would be a minister and not the spouse of one. So it's not just people that are against women in the pulpit. It's this whole mindset of shifting a paradigm where I am seen not as somebody else's something first. And I think that's across the board in many uh, areas of business and certainly in the ministry. The other thing that I, I was real hesitant at first to get, because it's just not very fashionable, frankly, was a collared shirt. You know, as Methodists, we don't typically wear collars on a regular basis. I do wear a robe every Sunday. Uh, for my own self to help that ritual of it helps me prepare my heart, my mind, and my soul to preach and to share the word and to be confident in that message. But I didn't really want a collar. Um, however, I have found that not only is it good to have one, the reasons are varied. Um, first of all, you can wear it to the hospital if you want to get around quicker and easier, frankly. Because um, nobody buys a collared shirt just to have one in their closet. But what my, that same friend that helped me with my paperwork, what she pointed out was, a man who's a minister can show up in a sport coat or a golf shirt and slacks and have a Bible in his hand and people just assume he's a minister. But for people to really believe what we say and to have that validation and to have that 
authority of being a minister for a woman. Anytime we do civic prayer or go to a hospital uh, for visitation or speak at a public forum, if we don't have a collar on, people think we're just little Bible study leaders, not actual ministers. And they said, Katie, you need a collared shirt. And that dichotomy was interesting to me as well, that men don't need that to be validated as a minister and have that authority as a minister, but women do to prove who they are. All things to ponder. I don't have answers for all this. Some of it is just how you grow up. I think that's what I really um, have come to conclude about a lot of this is that I was so blessed to start life with the idea that women could be ministers. I don't have to change my thought or my, my vision of what a minister can be. Whereas a lot of adults do, and that's hard to do as an adult, is to shift and change. So I understand it. I don't love it, but I definitely understand it. Most everyone has been extremely welcoming and lovely about it. But there are some people in my life who I wish were a little more accepting and understanding of it. Um, but that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> So a lot of the uh, angst and problems that people have with um, women in ministry come from our friend Paul. <sighs> Paul in those letters, let me tell you. Paul is problematic in a lot of ways. Not just about women in ministry, but in a lot of ways. And Paul also contradicts himself, sometimes in the same letter and sometimes in different letters. So Paul has to work a lot out for himself as well. And it goes back to how you view scripture. And I, look, <laughs> I scripture is inspired by and the word of God. I believe that completely and wholeheartedly. However, if I look at, um, if I look at ministry, um, and in scripture, we have to look at the sources and the historical context. We have to look at it fully and completely. In class the other day, we looked at how we read scripture. And if we take everything just at face value, we leave out the depth and um, full color and beauty of scripture. If we just look at it as a historical context, we miss the majesty and the power of who Jesus was. So we have to read scripture kind of like we read poetry and this poem is by billy collins it's called an introduction to poetry and it really spoke to me about how we look at scripture and how we should read it 
So here's his poem. It's called The Introduction to Poetry. I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with a rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. And for me, this is what we have, the way we have to look at all scripture, that um, we should not just read the actual words on the page. That is one aspect of scripture, and we should definitely look at that. But we need to dive deeper. We need to look at the setting and the author and who is speaking and, frankly, sometimes who is not speaking. So when we look at these scriptures by Paul, we have to remember that it's Paul. It's not Jesus. And just like we do, Paul had to work some things out. Paul may have started thinking one thing and then wrestled with ideas and concepts and prayed about things and come out the other side thinking something totally different. And we see that throughout his letters. We also have to think, well, he's writing to different churches and different churches have different circumstances. We all know that, look, every church has problems, but they're all different problems, even still today. So when we read these scriptures, we have to look at them through, just like the, po uh, the poem I just read says, as a prism, through a prism, through beautiful stained glass. We have to sit with it. We have to probe it and skim across the top of it and dive into it and really think about all aspects of that scripture. I believe it's all God-breathed. I really do. So I'm not saying that scripture is not of God. I believe it is. But when we don't give it the time and effort that it deserves, we are not fully living out God's hope for us through these scriptures. So, having said all that, let's look at Paul. Here's the problem text that we as women all go to. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 36 says, Women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate as the law also says. If there is something they want to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? And he is referring to the Old Testament laws, and women were not valued and used as priests. There are very few women who were allowed to be in the temple or around the temple or as part of the church and the synagogue. But, just like I say we should do now, when you know better, you do better. And here in Galatians, chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, Paul contradicts himself. 
And I like to think it's because he has grown and learned and seen people of all backgrounds and all types that are faithful and able to be used by God to preach and teach and be witness of his love and kindness. And so here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, it says this, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Adam, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I love this translation, you are no longer Jew or Greek. I think Paul has now seen that Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed those laws. That if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's offspring and the heirs according to that promise. And I think his struggle with things is very inspiring and very um, uplifting to me because we all do that. I read scripture and text and I don't understand it and I have to look at it and study it and grapple with it and wonder about it before I can really fully comprehend what this these verses are trying to tell me. So Paul does the same thing. How great to know that even the the foundation of our church, the bigger church, the Catholic, Little C Catholic Church, came from people who struggled to understand what was happening in the early church with these letters and these texts and these scriptures. So Paul does get a really bad rap, but I like Paul. I'm a Paul fan. Because he shows us that growth is necessary and growth is possible. So, next time you see a female minister, give her a little extra pat on the back because it's just a little bit more difficult. There's one more level of distrust than the rest of the world has for our male counterparts. There's a lot more aspects of this problem and this issue of people being rude and hateful and terrible, frankly, to women in ministry. And we're going to talk about that too. But I think this idea today is that women are capable and ordained and called by God to minister. And so as we go throughout our week, as I go throughout my week and finish writing my sermon for Sunday, I'm going to remember that, that um, my call is valid no matter what someone else has to say about it. So thank you, friends, for sitting with me as I work through all of these these things that uh, it helps for me to talk about. I hope it helps you to listen about and listen to these um, these issues and concepts and things going on. Um, I appreciate your listening ear. Uh, my prayer is that you will find this week full of blessings. Thank you, friends. Amen.